We're in Judges, and if you'd like to turn there, we're in Judges chapter 17 today. We're heading towards a whole new section, you know. This is the last section of Judges, the third section. It's called the appendix sometimes. You know things about appendixes. People don't think they're very useful. And this is one of the least preached sections of the Bible that we get to look at today. And I think it's really important for you and for me. So let me introduce it this way. Life is hard. Maybe you don't feel that right now, but at some point you will, you know. I I don't necessarily like what's going on in my life. Some of the circumstances or the things that hit me or the ways that life is going. And, and so I start thinking it's very natural. How do I change those things I don't like? How do I improve? How do I, how do I get rid of the things that are not good? And particularly if I'm a person who knows God. And here we are as Christians speaking of these things. I think, how do I get God to do that for me? How do I actually help God act for you and for me? And so so what I want to do in my mind is I want to think about the things that will make God pleased, happy with me. And so I want God to be happy with me because then my life will go well. How could I go wrong if I have God on my side, right? So, So this idea is I start looking around and going, wait, is God really on my side if I'm stealing money and smoking pot? Is he really on my side if I'm actively sinning? And I say no. So I know what to work on so that I'll get God on my side so that he'll help me have a life that I like. So there are lots of prescriptions all over for getting God on your side, right? God's blessing on your life. It doesn't necessarily even have to be Christian. You get self-help sections that basically, hey, this is how to live a wise and a good life. And some of those things are very true. But all you have to do is go to the Christian bookstore, or now you can go online, right? And you can look at the thousands of books on Christian living, telling you different ways to order your life. Usually we look at particularly messy lives, we think, well, if they'd only clean up. But maybe the real problem is we don't realize that the way we think about these things is a mess. We're talking today about our mess. And I guess the teddy bear being ripped up. I want to immediately go and think, how am I going to sew it back together? Because I know what a teddy bear ought to be. That's why I put that picture up there. But our thinking too often, I think, our thinking of doing right, is it really the right version? You know, often it includes our view of God as a being to be leveraged, a power to be tapped into, a force to be reckoned with, and he's on our side when we're doing what we think we should be doing. And so I want to show you today, we're a mess. You're a mess. And and it's not able with a few words and a few Bible verses to put you back together again. What we really need is a king, someone who saves us. And to think that way about your life. So to do that, we're going into this passage, this story in Judges. And I'll tell you, it it gets really bad. So don't get offended at this picture, but I want to ask, what mess... 
Because here you are, and you're thinking, well, my life, maybe I think I've done an okay job, and my, no, wait. So this amazing story I want to introduce you to, and it's Micah. He's of Ephraim, and I, it's, the introduction to the story is the first six verses, but then the story gets and goes, and we're going to flow it through today, and you're going to hear it, I hope, and see a bit about what an amazing thing that Jesus Christ is our King. Okay, let's go. Judges chapter 17, we'll start in verse 1. There was a man, the Bible says, of the hill country in Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. Mom, remember that massive amount of silver that was stolen? Like like a lifetime's wages. That's how much money he's talking about. A fortune. Remember how you uttered that curse about that fortune? Well, you know, my conscience has been on me. I just want to tell you, I took it. That's what the story starts with. You have no other context. Boom, out of the blue, here he comes. The scene comes up, and it's about a son going to his mom saying, I stole a bunch of money from you, mom, and I'm telling you now because because I heard that you cursed it, and I'm afraid. How am I going to get out of that curse? Because it's already been spoken. God will curse you, kid. And so the mom's like, well, maybe if I bless you. Look what she does. She says, his mother said, Blessed be my son by Yahweh. That's the capital L-O-R-D, right? Yahweh. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mom. So so this blessing, maybe it can cancel out the curse. You know, the, spoke the curse, and I'm going to return it and restore, and it's everything's okay. And I think, well, that's just kind of interesting. There's, there's, I wonder if this is okay. Well, I better do a little more and make sure. So here they go. His mother said, I dedicate the silver to Yahweh from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. How interesting. You're a little bit like, so what? Well, here's the thing. It's like, is this okay? And there's these questions of, hey, we're taking actions and judging our actions, and and are they okay? And what's happened here is the kid who stole a bunch of money and goes and gives it back to his mom because he got this curse on the money. He doesn't want the curse. So the mom's going to bless him. And the mom says, I better go further. Let's dedicate the money to the Lord. But then she doesn't give all the money to the Lord. She gives 200 pieces. 18%. And then they take that money. What do they do with it? They make idols. you got to be thinking, this doesn't sound quite right. Yeah, and if you were a Hebrew reader, you'd be even further. Because this man was introduced to you, and his name is Micah. But in the Hebrew, it's Micah-Yah, which means, which is actually has a meaning. It's who is like Yahweh. This man's name is who is like Yahweh. And in chapter 17, verse 1, who is like Yahweh is his name. And in verse 4, who is like Yahweh is his name. But starting in verse 5, his name is changed in the Hebrew. 
It's just like Yahweh is dropped. Who is like? Because that's Micah. That's the shortened form. Micah just means who is like. Who is like nobody. So he had this shrine. You know this is specifically prohibited in Deuteronomy 25. Not brought up by our narrator. So we'll just make this idol dedicated to Yahweh and we'll put it in the shrine with our other household gods that's like icing on the cake. And and one of my kids will ordain him. What? Sounds okay. We'll make him a priest. He didn't have another talent. Why not go into the ministry? It's simply crazy story to an Old Testament follower of Yahweh. Maybe hard for us to get. And, but But think about it. Maybe you've had some money with a bad history, like not totally kosher how you got it. Like maybe it's tainted and you say, look, let's get it clean. How do you do it? Well, let's give it to God. Let's leverage it to do good. Who's good? That's the issue, huh? Who decides this stuff? The honest truth is we decide. It's based on something, our interpretation of the Bible or whatever, and sometimes it's tinged by let's make it right so that I'll make sure my life is held together, so that I'll get God's blessing. Like God is waiting to bless you based on how you're doing, right? He wants to bless you. You just haven't done the right thing yet. Well, it seems good. That's what we do. It seems good to try to make this bad thing good, and we're going to try and we're going to have at it. But here's the problem, and it's in verse 6. It's the end of this little summary. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. First time we're going to see this, we're going to see it a couple times. And this is the summary thing for Micah. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. It's a mess. Stop it already. But that's just Micah. No, Micah's just the warm-up, the main character of this, of people just sort of doing what's right in their own eyes. Indeed, I wonder if that's not you and I today. The main character of this story is a Levite. We're just about to meet him. A man of God. Pay attention. He's an important man. He's from Bethlehem. Remember who was born there? Remember who was born in Bethlehem? Remember who lived in Judah? And not only that, but this guy's a priest, a Levite. He represents and serves God. So good stuff, important man, let's meet him. So it says, now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. Okay, he's looking for a ministry, a place to serve God. And as he journeyed, the Bible says, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. Oh, there's the connection. He comes to Micah's little heretica, heretical weird idol place, right? This strange place where Micah's made this idol to Yahweh and placed it in the middle of his other gods and Ick, this Levite, he's gonna gonna set him straight. I hope so. Micah said to him, Where do you come from? Levite said, I, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. So Micah said to him, Stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes 
and you're living. Huh? What? Stay with me and be a spiritual advisor, he says. Minister here. There's a cool and a cozy living. I'll give you a wage and a nice suit. <laughs> okay. Maybe this will work out well. I mean, Micah's like maybe interested in Yahweh and, you know, the Levite can set him straight. He can clean up the place. He can get it in order. He can throw out the other gods. He can stop this idol worship. He can, he can do okay. So the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. What in the world? Micah ordained the Levite? Like, what's that? How does he get to do that? Who gets to ordain priests? Why did the Levite say, why is this good to me that I might be here in the midst of this idolatry, in the midst of this wrongness, and here, and it seems okay? Why would he do that? And I says, well, he's trying to worship Yahweh, and I'm getting food and silver and clothes, and what's the real issue? It's right here for Micah, right? There it is. Then Micah said, now I know that Yahweh will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. I want the blessing, says Micah. I want my life to go well, and I have it. I have a Levite priest. I have the right pieces. I'm using the silver the right way. I want God to bless me. So I'll get all the trappings. I don't think this isn't common, right? So I would never do anything like that. But I want to have a spouse, and I want my kids to do okay. I want their lives to go well. I I know I'm not in control. Maybe I've done some things that are a little sketchy, a little shady, a little ill-motive. Who hasn't? But, But if I clean it up and get the right pieces in place, then things will go well for me. That's what they're thinking. The narrator isn't saying no. How horrible. We're saying no as we read it. Because because this statement comes up again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Strange Micah, misguided Levite, awful story. So I have no idea really where this goes, right? Yeah, but you haven't even heard the half of it yet. It goes from kind of messy to ooh, Levite to ooh. Keep going with me. In those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So now we're going to introduce you to a tribe, the tribe of Dan. It says no inheritance had fallen to them, but you know the language is a bit vague, and the reason why is because they did get an inheritance. They got one. They just didn't like it. They'd been given these cities, and, and they'd even taken a couple of them, but what was pressing upon them were these really strong people. We know them as the Philistines. So they were feeling pressured, and they didn't like the peace that God had given. They started looking around going, man, maybe we should take somewhere else. We don't like our circumstance. We don't like this. It <laughs> sounds a little bit like something I'd resonate with, with the circumstances of my life. God, I wish my inheritance was different. I wish my health was different. My my spouse was nicer. My kids were better. Would you 
wait, I know who could make those better. God could make them better. How will I get God to make them better? Anyway, here's Dan. They're looking for a better spot in the inheritance they've been given. And so in verse 2, the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and they lodged there. Interesting. So Micah, who we kind of got introduced to as our introduction of Wrongness and the Levite there who's wrongness. And now we have these five men come in and they come to the house of Micah. They're looking for a place to be. There's the connection, right? And when they were in the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. That means he had an accent, like a southern drawl. Hey, you're from where we're from. I hear your your, your voice. And they turned aside and they said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He's hired me and I've become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey which we are setting out will succeed. The priest said to them, go in peace. The journey which you go is under the eye of Yahweh. Okay, well, uh, get this straight. So these... People head over to Micah's and they hear about the sweet setup the Levite has and, and they don't go, wow, this sounds really strange that he's ordained you as a priest. What, why would he ever do that? That sounds really odd. Instead, they say, oh, hey, you're a priest. Well, why don't you ask Yahweh whether or not we're going to be okay with moving our inheritance from here to here? And there's no reference that he asked Yahweh a thing. He just speaks right back to him, right? Go in peace. Now blink an eye. God has his eye on you. Well, wait a minute. They're leaving the inheritance given them by Joshua in Joshua, and they want to go somewhere else. And he's saying, oh, sure, no problem. The most amazing thing as you go through this story and why people get so confused in it is there's no word from the narrator on how terrible this is. There's no actual word from the Bible saying God is boiling in anger at how terrible these people are being. You should ask yourself, why not? In actuality, this story is out of place, you know. It's important it's been brought to the end as we close and we see things getting, getting bad. The actual events that are happening here are at the time of the very first judge, Othniel. It happened early on. Look at these people. So here go these Dan, these Danites. And in verse 7 it says, The five men departed and they came to Laish, and they saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. So what did they do? They found this peaceful valley. Nice people who had nice life. Whoa, I think, I think we should have their place. That's what they say, right? So they came to their brothers back in Zorah and Eshtaol, and their brother said to them, what do you report? And they said, arise, let us go up against them. We have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go 
to enter in and to possess the land. These are the words Joshua used about the inheritance, right? But now they're using it, co-opting it, to say, I'm going to get what I want. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there's no lack of anything that is in the earth. What a bunch of crock. Self-serving spirituality. God has given it into your hands. He's done no such thing. You just think you're following God. And there they go, you know. At least some of them go. The number seems kind of small. It says there in verse 11, So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtaal, and they went up and they encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, that place is called Manahedan to this day. Behold, it's west of Kiriath-Jerim. They're just telling you that they, they went out, right? And Dan is on the move. They passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. We know where that is now. Then the five men, it says, who had gone out to scout the country of Laish, said to their brothers, Hey, do you know that in this, these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. Okay, just stop there for a minute. <laughs> Does it take a rocket scientist? Okay, you people of God, and you've heard of God, and you've heard Moses, and you've heard all he said and written. The Torah has been written, and the law of God is there. You shall not make a carved image. You shall not make a metal image. You lived through and saw how your parents worshipped at a golden calf. What in the world were they doing? And now now, now the spies come, and they say to the rest of their, their guys, Hey, you know over here, there's this place that has some household gods and a carved image and a metal image. Consider what you will do. What do you think they're, th they're saying to do? I know what I think they're saying to do. Let's go destroy it. How could such a terrible abomination exist? Pagan practices. Let's go tear them down. So let's see what they do. They turned aside there. They came to the house of the young Levite, the home of Micah. They asked him about his welfare. How you doing, Micah? Nice spot you have here. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who'd gone out to scout the land went up and they entered. And they took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men, armed with weapons of war. What is this? I know what this is, so do you. We call it a shakedown. They went to go get the stuff. They got all their armed people sitting there watching them. Right? And when those who went into Micah's house and they took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, the metal image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? We know what they're doing. The priest does too. They're taking it. And they said to him, keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us. And be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or to be a priest to the tribe and the clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. 
He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and he went along with the people. What? What? The priest's heart is glad? Yeah, that's right. He buys the argument, right? It's an argument you could make today. Come to this nicer body. It's bigger. Maximize your ministry, friend. We're not destroying these idols. We want to use them to use you too. We like your style. We like how you do these things. Come with us and be our priest. Like we know God's with you. You're giving the message we want to hear. Well, okay then. I like it. I'm glad I might not go with you. And, and, and off they go. So they turn and, and they depart. And they're putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. And when they'd gone a distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out. And they overtook the people of Dan. They said, hey, what are you guys doing? What's the matter with you that you come with such a company? Why are you shaking us down? Why are you stealing from us? And he said, you take my gods that I made. This is Micah talking. And the priest, and you go away, and what do I have left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? So, so let, let that sink in your head, would you? But then I say, what's the matter with you? We're taking the stuff we're going, we're taking it. And he says, no, 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 wait. You're taking away my gods that I made. Whoa. And the priest. He could have said, and the priest that I made. What do I have left? Well, they're taking away crap. Garbage. Wrongness. It's going to be so much better for Micah to have that stuff gone. He doesn't think so. Right? That He's like, and the people of Dan said to him, Don't let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Nice life you have there. Wouldn't want to lose it. Our 600 men of war staring at you. We're taking it, and we're gone. So then the people of Dan went on their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned, and he went back home. So this is just might makes right, right? But but what they're trying to do is stealing is just is garbage. Worse than garbage. It's gonna hurt them. But it seems right to them. <laughs> Look at what they do. Remember, the priest said, God is with you. That's the word of this Levite priest. That the, the priest, that God is with you in all you do. So there they go, doing their stuff. And in verse 27, the people of Dan took what Micah has made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting. And they struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob, and then they rebuilt the city, and they lived in it, and they named the city Dan. After the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel, but the name of that city was Laish at first. So they went and they did, right? 
It seemed right to them. The certainty of their heart, they were right. They had the priests. They had the idols. God would be with them. They had all the trappings and with the Levite with them because he gets more ministry. They come and they kill people and they take over this inheritance that God didn't give them. This is horrible. It's just a couple generations removed from Joshua, right? Where the people saw the sun stand still and God fought for Israel and gave them the promised land. And, and they're going, no, I don't want this piece, God. I want that one over there. And so I think, I think I've arranged it so that you approve. There's lots here. But even if you had trouble following this horrid story that's just presented at face value to you without comment by the narrator of the text. Don't miss the last two verses. You should underline them in your Bible. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Wait a minute. Don't miss this. This is so horrible that many versions of the Hebrew Bible have been changed. They've changed the name. Because with just one letter of change you can add to the top, it becomes not the son of Moses that is doing this. It becomes the son of Manasseh. And it's not true. Moses and his wife Zipporah had a son. And their son was named Gershon. Gershon had a son. And here he is. His name's Jonathan. He's a Levite. Dedicated to the service of God. He's not to be a priest. He's not in the right tribe for that. But here he is. And they haven't named him until this verse. That the horror of what's going on in Israel is directly from Moses' grandson. Whoa! Can, can, can you believe it? This is totally off. Moses, the man of God, the towering figure, the bringer of the law, the one who set the clear rules, who, who wrote the Torah. And here's his grandson just two generations away from him. What is he doing? What's right in his own eyes? He's using God to get what he wants. He's not humbly worshiping God. He's setting up a false religious circle that says God, God, but has no actual understanding of what the message is, that God is on the throne, that he has a plan. How do I know that? I said, well, no, 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 he's, he's actually he's Moses' grandson. We should let him. No, 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 wait what it ends with. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Do you see the contrast that the stage ends with, the curtain closes? You've got, you've got the house of God where it's supposed to be in Shiloh, the tabernacle. And over here, Micah's carved image put up by Moses' grandson. And it's horrible.
That's the end. That simple statement. That's the end of the story. Contrasting this mess over here for a long time, this stinking mess with that house of God, that's the tabernacle that remains where it should be and is at Shiloh. So take a minute with me before we end. That's a long piece of... What do I do with that? Where does restoration come? Where? How, how do we make this right? I, we see all the points of error all the way through, how Micah wasn't thinking right, how the Levite wasn't thinking right, how the Danites are wrong too, and they're all just twisted up like a pile of... I want to untwist them. Let, let's give them some counsel. Like Because I'd never be like this. Really? Really? Why do you think you're not like this? Here's the difficulty for you and me. I have a God that speaks through the words of the Bible. He does. And you know that people interpret the Bible totally differently. Whose interpretation is correct? I'll tell you a very easy statement that you should take into your heart. My way is. <laughs> That's what I want to say, right? Here I am. I say, well, I'm going to do what, what? what seems right to me. What seems right to me? To follow the Bible in its instructions of what I should do with my life. And then we start to argue over what those are. And, and, and honestly, at the end of the day, the underneath it, what am I doing? I am still trying to leverage God. Have you never put time and money towards God, at least a thread of hoping that by doing it, He'd take care of you? Have you never prayed like I've prayed many times? Oh, Lord, if you'll just get me through this test, I will serve you. If you get me out of this situation, I will do this for you. You never think, well, I've, I've screwed up, but if I make restoration, that'll get me blessed. What can I do? And all of those things are in our story. I'm telling you, there's a mess. And the answer isn't that you can do it better than they did it. That without the visible presence of God, you will not lapse into thinking, I will do things what I think is the right way. And I think, well, let's clean up this story. Let's burn the idols and kill the Levite and erase Dan. And eventually those things may happen, but that doesn't take all this away. It happened. It's too late. going to pay a, 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 a sorry price to the people at Laish who are murdered by the Danites? So it is with our lives, you know. It happens. We get torn up and we, we can't manipulate God into making lemonade with our lemons by sort of promising to serve Him or doing what you think is right. Like somehow you're going to do it. And, and, and that's why I gave this picture. It's like, I can, I can put the doll back together. I can. But who thinks this doll looks anything like the original? So he said, this is such a hard message, Dax. I don't like it. Yeah, that's why it's never preached, right? But the answer is in the text. The answer to how to get restored is in the text. And it's the message of Judges. It said what? At that time, there was no king in Israel. Looking forward to the Davidic king that would come and, and how God would bless David and David would restore. Well, well, but we look toward 
past David to where? To the forever king. When the king comes, that's when restoration happens. A thousand years from the text today, he has come. Jesus Christ is our king. They aren't condemned in this story. It's just a statement. There was no king. Oh, that there would have been a king. Oh, that the king would come. And then we tell you and I know, we have this amazing message. The king has come. His name was Jesus and he came and he died for you and me. And he saved us from what? From this mess. And he promises that he will resurrect us in newness of life. That's not, can I manipulate him to get my life better? That's, do you trust the king? It's a whole new way of thinking. That this moment, you see the love of God in Christ for you right now as you are. He died for you. He forgives you. And your salvation is in receiving your forever king, right? Let me give you a couple verses as we close. You've seen them. God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we manipulated things rightly and got things in order. When we got rid of Micah and all his garbage and we got rid of this crazy bad Levite. And No, no, no. Christ died for sinners. When do we get this life? I look at my life and it's a mess and I want to say, I've got to clean it up. But wait, but wait. Look what the Bible actually says. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is Colossians, right? What is he saying? He's saying, Christ is your life. And when the king appears... Well, he did appear and he died and he went to heaven and he's coming again. And you or I are in this period where we think, well, I'm doing what's right and I'm doing what I think is best. But I'll tell you what, the underlying piece has to be always, I'm waiting for the king. I'm waiting for the king. Because my hope is in him. First Peter 1 says the same thing. Preparing your minds for action. Being sober-minded. Sounds like, oh, i got to get my life right. No, 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 wait. This is the actual command in this verse. The actual imperative. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not presently. Not, oh, all the stuff I have right now and I need to try and be better at it. No, set your hope in what's coming. What's coming? The king is coming. My king is coming. Your king is coming. It's by his sacrifice that we've been sanctified. Our lives made holy. Not because we got all our dots, T's, pieces together rightly. Not because we managed to be totally right while that other church over there is totally wrong. No, we, with them, realize we're broken. And we have hope in one place. We have hope in the King. Praise God He's done it. Your sins are forgiven. The blood has covered you if you will receive this King. Let's pray.